Awesome. Well, I'm excited to uh, to welcome a friend of mine, Christopher Drobot. Uh, he's a mortgage broker with uh, Design Capital. Uh, he specializes in a number of different asset classes, uh, but the one that I talk about most on this channel is industrial real estate. Uh, so we'll probably chat a little bit about that. Uh, but mostly, I just want to have this be a, a an overview for investors of all scope, uh, whether it's a beginning investor or someone sophisticated, uh, just to hear from a mortgage professional like Christopher uh, and get his thoughts on it. So uh, welcome, uh, Chris. Thanks for joining me on the call. Yeah, well, thank you, Chad. I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's an, an incredible time, I think, right now with the amount of opportunity that is out there uh, for uh, for folks looking for capital. Lenders are really wanting to get money into the market and make it uh, make it start working. So for people looking to invest, it's a really good time to be looking at it. Uh, well said. So I guess the first question I wanted to ask you is uh, why use a, a mortgage broker? I mean, a lot of uh, whether it's investors, uh, maybe it's someone that's owned a few houses and they want to consider commercial now, or it's a business that's looking to buy for their own building. They probably already have a relationship with with their bank. So what's what's the advantage of using a broker? Yeah, well, the, the biggest one is just time. Like we've all heard the adage that time is money. But when it comes to commercial lending especially like you're looking at approval times of potentially upwards of six weeks at some lenders once you, from very beginning to very end and if you find at the end of that process with the bank that you went with uh that you have an existing relationship with that maybe for some reason they can't approve your file that's six weeks of project time that you might have lost and so it really comes down to what is the borrower's time worth what is getting your project moving faster worth? And so when you work with a mortgage professional that has a viewpoint that's kind of at a, you know, a 50,000 foot view of the lending market that knows all of the different lenders that might be willing to lend on a file, having the ability to execute and actually get the funding that's needed in a timely manner really is, is what the, the value uh, is in working with a mortgage broker. So you touched on a really good point there, and I want to uh, expand on that a bit because that, that's probably surprising for a lot of uh, new investors or, or companies looking to buy a, a space is just that runway on how long it actually takes to get commercial financing. Uh, if people are familiar with the house buying process, that, that can be as quickly as a week in some cases. Uh, but like you said, commercial financing can, can often take six weeks, eight weeks. Uh, I've, I've been involved in transactions that have taken several months to get financing. So from your standpoint, why is there such a long runway to, to arrange for commercial financing? Yeah, part of it is the, is the complexity of the deals themselves is that there's often multiple layers of, of ownership. Uh, sometimes there will be, you know, a, an individual that holds a holding company and that holding company holds another holding company and that one is owned in part by another one. And, and that complexity of ownership means that there's multiple layers of, of individuals that need to be underwritten. But more than that is that oftentimes any sort of commercial underwriting also involves income producing assets. So when you're looking at an industrial property, especially, you know, you'd be often having some sort of tenants involved in there. And so then the lender is going to need to understand a bit more about um, the, uh, the actual underlying income stream, the tenants and the rents that they're paying, how strong are those tenants, what sort of profile do they have? Are they national anchors, you know, uh, national tenants, or are they somebody that's a, a brand new local company that's just started last month? Um, all of that kind of plays into the strength of the deal overall and, and helps to inform the lender's ultimate decision. But none of that happens overnight. 
And there's kind of multiple layers as well of, of third party uh, reports that sometimes are needed. So building condition assessments and appraisals and possibly environmental studies that might be need, needed to be added to the file that may lengthen the process on getting an approval. Yeah, and quite often those reports can take several weeks themselves, uh, depending on how busy an appraisal is, appraiser is or a, uh, an engineer doing the building condition or the environmental company. Those reports can sometimes take three to four weeks themselves to come in. Then the bank still needs to review all of that. So it, it is a lengthy process and, and, and people need to understand that that due diligence process of, of going through all those reports and, and simultaneously arranging for financing can can take six to eight weeks. So uh, uh, thanks for elaborating on that. Uh, to your to your earlier point as well, you said that uh, there's there's a lot of lenders interested in in lending out money right now. And we all know how crazy and tumultuous this past year has been. So I don't want to necessarily dwell on what the past year has been like, but more right now, what's what's the current environment in the lending community? Uh, to, to look at at properties as a whole and, and I'll get your I'll get your thoughts on the on the market as a whole but then maybe we could dive into a, a few specific asset classes as well but just as a whole what's what's the appetite like right now to, to lend certainly well I think I think it's not totally possible to discuss the current appetite uh, without discussing what did happen so Yes, it was in the past, and yes, uh, things were tumultuous, as you mentioned, but what happened over the last year is that a lot of <clears throat> lending that should have happened, that would have normally happened, didn't, which meant that money that they, that banks might have had on hand, investors' capital essentially was parked and wasn't providing the returns that is expected. And so now lenders, uh, in order to make sure that they're providing the appropriate returns to their shareholders are trying to get that money into the market now and trying to move. And so this is, I would say, across the entire spectrum of lending, um, rates overall have started to come down. Uh, and this, while in recent weeks has had some pressure going the other way as far as fixed rates, um, what was happening was that lenders were all aggressively competing for similar deals. So even on you know, sometimes where a client or a borrower might need private financing, we're even seeing private financing rates come down significantly as well, as low as sometimes, you know, five or 6% for a, a private loan, where typically, you know, a year ago, that might have been 10%. So there's a lot of competition in the market from conventional lenders all the way through to those types of private uh, lending facilities. And all of them are trying to compete for the same borrowers. And there's a lot of good deals out there right now. And that's, that's really why the, the lenders are competing as aggressively as they are to try to try to scoop up some of this business. Yeah, it's it's clearly a good time to to borrow money, and and I think that that's what's fueling this this boom. Uh, residential is is widely known that there's booms all across North America right now of of house prices going up far faster than people would have uh, anticipated a year ago, uh, and I think that's translating to some areas of of commercial real estate. Uh, what are you hearing uh, if we were to if we were to drill down a bit? What are you hearing from lenders regarding the office and the retail market with potential concerns of office employees not coming back to the office, which could potentially draw down the demand for office properties. And then just with retail as well, uh, the, the concerns that the retail industry have, have, have experienced have been widely known for, for years now, uh, but are lenders taking a bit of a dim view on, on those type of properties or do they expect there to be a bounce back? No, uh, you're, you're bang on. I mean, there, there is some expectation from the lenders that I've, I've had conversations with um, that those 
areas of the market, those asset classes will continue to have struggles in, in the near to medium term. And while there may be a case to be made for a bounce back eventually, Right now, I mean, lenders are in the business of, of risk mitigation. Lenders are in the business of understanding the current risks and trying to ensure that they, they receive a return via their interest rates they charge that are appropriate for the risk that's involved. And in office and um, in retail, uh, there still are quite a few risks and unknowns and uncertainty that really plays on any one of those files that is submitted. Now that said, if there's really strong tenants, I mean, if you're talking about, you know, if you happen to have an, a, a, an office asset that had, you know, a big four accounting firm uh, that as a major tenant, well, then that particular asset will not be affected by that sort of uncertainty uh, nearly as much as, again, you know, local players that, uh, you know, smaller strip malls or smaller office buildings might be impacted by. There's there a report that KPMG put out, uh, I think it was in the fall, uh, and they surveyed a bunch of CEOs. And the results of that survey was that 69% of them expect to downsize office space in the foreseeable future. And the nature of most of these office leases is that they have, they have trailing obligations. So it's not like they... Yeah entered into a pandemic and they could automatically just give back lease space. They had contract yeah. rent that they had to pay on that. So I think what's potentially concerning about the office market is that we might not see the effects of companies downsizing their office space for, for several years yet uh, as, as these leases come up and whether the companies that said that they're going to downsize actually do or whether they change their mind once things get back to normal. Uh, but if you, if you have an office property and you've got a tenant in there for two or three years yet, how are the banks looking at that property in terms of what it could could release at once the existing company either leaves, downsizes, or changes the structure of their lease? Yeah, lease-up risk is, is a definite concern there um, as far as how, how lenders are viewing that. Uh, it really, they are discounting somewhat off of, uh, of current lease rates and just saying, hey, look, like maybe we're going to apply a higher vacancy allowance mm -hmm. to this property uh, in in the shorter term, like it really, it is case specific. Like the, the, the standard answer I always give people in any file is it depends. And I'm gonna kind of give that same one to you and, and not in uh, uh, recognizing that, that it's not really the answer that you're looking for, but it, it does depend. And so it really, like there is gonna be vacancy that's probably gonna be expected to be a little bit higher. Um, but even to your point, like, yes, there was a survey, you know, of CEOs, but like one, um, one case though that may kind of change the narrative on that is recently uh, in Toronto, you might've seen Scotiabank uh, recommitted to like 525,000 square feet of office space. And like that is a significant commitment from a major office tenant that um, hopefully will give some amount of, um, you know, good feelings or, or goodwill, let's say, towards the office space as a whole, if they start seeing more large companies like Scotiabank or, or like some of the other uh, larger national companies continue to commit to the spaces they already have. And I think that's really what is going to be the question is, to your point, will it actually happen as is being said right now? And I don't think I'm sold on that yet. I, I think there's still... Um, a lot of stuff to shake out and once vaccinations all happen i think there's a culture thing that uh, that comes by having everybody in the office together that can't be realized through remote work i agree with you and it, this is it's a really important topic because it not just 
affects our livelihood working in commercial real estate, but it, it affects our day-to-day operations just being office workers ourselves. So I, I study this pretty closely, even, even though I, I don't work in office brokerage. Uh, and I find it fascinating how quickly people were to say the office is dead. Uh, it, as soon as this all started unraveling and people had the ability to work at home and they started referencing technology, even, even like we're talking on right now as, as a viable opportunity to replace the office. And I share your skepticism that that this is is going to be a long term effect uh, from the sole purpose that I am an office worker myself and working from home, while it has its perks, it also has its drawbacks. And I think that the drawback side of this work from home element isn't discussed enough. Uh, and, and I know that there's studies that have been done in the past that that show after a certain amount of time, one study in particular said nine months, after nine months of working from home, uh, people start saying that they would actually prefer to work at the office, at least some amount, uh, it might not be permanent, and there might be some blend of working from home and working from the office. Uh, but I, I've said to a few people, if I were to extrapolate my career out over the next 15 years or so, uh, and I had to envision working at home for those 15 years by myself talking on Zoom calls, I'd find that to actually be very depressing. Uh, so I, I, for one, would love to get back to the office. I'd love to see that uh, a safe reentry where we could all go back to how it was a, a year ago, uh, because I, I think that that's, it's important for cohesiveness for team building, uh, mental health, I think there's so many reasons to to want to go back to the office. Uh, I but I still fear that there'll be some segment of, of the workforce, whether it's introverted people, or people that just hate the commute, uh, or for whatever reason, they just do not want to go back to the office. I think that there'll be some percentage of the workforce uh, that doesn't go back. Uh, and if you call it 10, 15%, just using a, an arbitrary number. If we see a 10, 15% reduction in the amount of office space that that is required by these companies to facilitate that, that could be a significant drop uh, in the office market. So I, I share your your optimism. Uh, I, I don't think anybody has an answer on that yet, but it is something we all need to be conscious of, of, of what, what that actually looks like going forward, because uh, if it's really anyone's guess what the market looks like next year. Certainly, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you, you asked earlier about retail as well. And I, I would say that similar to office, it, it's also anyone's guess on the retail front. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a retail background uh, and my own view of retail over the last five to 10 years has been that it has been moving more and more towards experience driven retail as the driving force for retail growth. And whether that is um, a, a retailer that has a, a strong online presence to begin with that branched out into a bricks and mortar presence as well, or whether it was the reverse. Uh, basically, retail now has to be omnichannel. People want to see and touch and feel the products that they're buying. Uh, I I know, you know, if we were talking anecdotally, uh, I don't like to buy things myself without having seen them first. If, if I was going to buy a mountain bike, let's say, uh, I would do research online but I wouldn't make the final purchase decision until I saw it myself in person at the bike shop. And so I think that while there may be some restructuring in retail and some some changes to the tenants that are actually there, maybe some changes to the retail landscape um, as a whole, as far as who the big behemoths are, um, I think retail is still going to have a relatively bright future uh, down, down the road. 
I, I, I share your sentiment on that because I, I, I think of uh, even clothes as another really good example. Uh, it's hard to buy something online without actually knowing how it's going to fit. And, and when, if you're buying a suit, as an example, uh, if I decided I wanted to go uh, to a store to buy a suit, I might know that I want a suit, but I might not know what, what it is. So you might want to go and try on a few different ones and, and maybe you find something that works with it or you find a different color or style that you wouldn't have even thought of. Uh, it's hard to do that online uh, versus the experience of actually doing it in there. So I, I really like that point you made. It's, it is going to be uh, uh, that omni-channel experience where people have the ability to perhaps do some research, find some, find out what they want online, but actually physically do it. Uh, I, I think that th that's a really good point. And, and I think retailers that adapt and adjust and, and respond accordingly will will continue to do well potentially thrive whereas the ones that don't they're, they're stubborn they're still stuck uh doing the same model they did 10 years ago they're they're really going to struggle yeah 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 no and and i i think like i'll give it like it, ikea i think really comes to mind for me they have this beautiful showroom this beautiful showroom that you walk through you see everything set up you see it all there you can go up and you can touch the floor models and see how sturdy they are and decide whether that's the right fit for you you can sit there with your measuring tape and measure them um but at the end of the day you can then go onto their website and order everything and have them pick it up for you and drop it off at their their pickup location they can deliver it for you to your house everything basically can be streamlined somebody from their company will even set it up in your house for you um, that to me is is a model for what the future of retail will will really look like is that if you have ultimate choice as the consumer for how you want to purchase the products that you are going to purchase yeah good point so I, I work predominantly in industrial real estate, and I know that you uh, you also uh, work with lenders to finance the industrial real estate. Uh, and I, I've talked a lot about it on my channel, but I'd love to get your thoughts on on what you're hearing in the industrial real estate market as well. Yeah, certainly. Well, industrial, I think, is one that uh, pretty much every lender is really excited about. Uh, there's been, uh, um, I think, dovetailing out of retail very nicely. Uh, there is a lack of warehouse space in a number of areas uh, across Canada. Um, our office uh, is based in Victoria, BC. And so we have uh, some pretty good connections in, in that area. And uh, specifically Vancouver Island has a lack of quality industrial space. And so as there is new industrial space that's made available or comes online, lenders are all too willing to lend on that simply because uh, they know that there will continue to be good demand for the space that is that is made available and uh, that's due to you know the warehousing needs of these new omni-channel retail facilities as well as um, as you know uh, places like Amazon or you know more purely online uh, retailers as well. I was just reading a report uh, the other day talking about Kelowna, which is a kind of a small market in BC. Uh, and they're, they're saying that their industrial vacancy rate is less than 1%, which is yeah. insane. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I recall uh, hearing very similar stats uh, for Vancouver, for Victoria. And, you know, I think that in itself, um, it means that there's a very strong appetite on the lender's part for being involved in industrial real estate at this point, especially with, with you know, strong tenants, but uh, even spec builds uh, are getting looked at very favorably right now on the industrial side. 
Yeah, and that, and that trends all across North America. There's markets all over that are are undersupplied, and there's a huge growing demand. So I I expect there to be a considerable amount of new product going going up in industrial all across North America and the world for that matter, uh, as well as new lending, new investment, uh, new appetite. I, I think industrial is going to be. Um, oh, sorry, I lost you there too. No, no, that's uh, that's fine. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, I, I think industrial is going to be a, a great asset class to to be involved in for the foreseeable future. So it'll be exciting to see how that all unfolds. Uh, but I want to switch gears a little bit and and talk more specifically on on capital itself. And probably a question that you get asked more than any, and I'm going to ask it uh, as well, uh, fixed versus uh, variable interest rates. Uh, what, what's sure. your stance on that right now? <laughs> uh, well, if you had asked me uh, a month ago, I would have I would have said very plainly that uh, fixed rates were as as good as they have ever been and probably will continue to be for a long while. And all of a sudden, the bond market decided to go in a different direction. And so, um, as I'm sure some mo- most of your listeners know, uh, the uh, interest rates have a very direct correlation to bond yields, which themselves are directly correlated to the prices of bonds in an inverse relationship. So as um, investors have moved away from bonds, the prices have gone down and the yields have gone up and very sharply. And when I I say that, um, basically from January to now, yields have gone up roughly about 70 basis points. And uh, to put that into, um, you know, layman terms, that's 0.7%. Uh, that uh, rates basically have gone up and, and they are catching up with uh, lenders right now. So on fixed rates, this is something that is starting to, we're seeing some pressure on the fixed rate side. Variable rates, however, are staying relatively relatively low. So the bank, if we're talking specifically in Canada, the Bank of Canada has made um, a commitment to keeping its overnight rate low at least until 2023. And so that should continue to provide some certainty to borrowers and to lenders as well that variable rates should remain roughly where they are uh, today. It's just that on the fixed rate side, the pressure from the, the bond market is pushing those rates up um, quite a bit higher. And I mean, if we're if we're to talk about uh, specifically larger um, transactions, you know, you start getting into the multifamily side as well. In uh, in Canada, at least we have CMHC insured financing. So I mean, where where up until January, you could have gotten a five-year uh, rate, you know, CMB plus plus sixty, let's say, which translated to one point three or one point four percent. Today, that same that same note will end up being somewhere closer to about one point eight or one point nine, uh, and possibly even a little bit higher, depending on the um, the, the size of the, the transaction. So, some significant upward pressure that has all of a sudden hit the market on the fixed rates. Still, generationally low rates, though. So like as much as the, there has been upward pressure, uh, it's still a, a, an incredible opportunity when looked at in the long term. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that I could say right now any better than anybody else where rates are going. But you know, if somebody wants to lock in at, at let's call it uh, two and a half to, to 3% on a, on a multifamily asset uh, for a 10 year term, you probably are gonna be okay over that 10 years. And that probably explains why the government is committed to their bond buying program and for the foreseeable future as well as to so they can uh, keep interest rates or at least fixed interest rates uh, low because uh, there's certainly 
a desire right now uh, in the whole economy to keep rates low so that we can continue stimulating growth. What What's concerning to me is, is what happens now that households, corporations, governments uh, have taken on so much debt over this past year, what happens when those interest rates uh, tick up? Because you have to think that interest rate uh, increase is coming at some point down the road. Uh, but for the foreseeable future, anyways, it looks like we're going to have a, a low interest rate environment. Yeah, certainly. I, I think that um, something that you mentioned um, on our pre-call uh, conversation is the impact of inflation that is we're starting to see in certain sectors of the economy. Now, especially this is like, I'm seeing it very directly in construction uh, for new construction projects. The um, quotes that a borrower may have received two months ago when they were putting their financing application together and we were starting to get it ready to go um, has changed drastically to today when now they're they're actually ready to to do their bill and so now all of a sudden you might see you know lumber costs that have gone up you know 40 percent or you might have you know some even down to uh you know windows or door handles or whatever like the basic like foundation part of, of building a house is all of these these accessories and all of these costs have gone up dramatically in the last uh, couple of months and so if that continues um, that will play itself out in the economy through inflation and we will start to likely see rates pushed up as a result of that as well. Yeah, it's fascinating on the inflationary side. I was just reading an article uh, that was talking about the bottlenecks that are coming through the supply chain right now, uh, with the biggest one being goods coming to the ports in, in Western North America. Uh, the major ports right now are backed up with supplies from, from Asia uh, because there's not dock uh, workers to, to accept it. There's not enough truck drivers to distribute it once it comes in. So there's a huge bottleneck issue in, in the Western ports, uh, which diverts some of it to the Eastern ports, but it's all adding up to increased freight costs. So all these companies are now having to pay more to have these items shipped to North America. Uh, so I, I, th I think we could be into a, into a big inflationary environment uh, for the next little while. Uh, hopefully, uh, the, the government and, and the feds can keep keep control of it from spiraling out of control. But like you said, with lumber, lumber is a great input cost for, uh, uh, for construction. So if, if we're seeing this inflation come up, it, it could be a, an interesting 2021. Uh, that, that, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows what's coming off this, but it's, it, there's some scary headwinds uh, out there. Yeah, and I think it just comes down to the, the idea of uncertainty. What what is going to happen? We don't know. I, I last week um, again, you know, speaking specifically Canadian um, content, like the Bank of Canada had their announcement last week of of where they were planning on going as far as their interest rate decision. And so, as part of that, they continued to reinforce their forward guidance. They continue to say that they did not expect to raise rates um, until 2023. I would be surprised if that stayed that way um, all the way through. Like that's that's another year and a half away. Uh, given everything that we're seeing and how hot certain sectors of the economy are running, uh, I would be surprised if that stayed all the way to 2023 and, and didn't potentially see some increases uh, sooner than that. 
Yeah, and that's it's a really good point uh, that I'd I'd like to, uh, to to emphasize as well is that we really don't know. Uh, so there, there's a lot of speculation that that goes into it, and there's there's a lot of talking heads, me and you included, right? Yeah. Now. Yeah. Uh, that, that try to comment on this, but I, I, I think the best thing you can do is make a decision at the exact moment of time that you're in, uh, make the best decision that you can take in all this into account, uh, but know that you can't control all of this stuff. Uh, and you just want to make sure that you're in a position that, that you're getting the best advice you can, whether it's from a, uh, an advisor like yourself on the mortgage end, uh, getting good advice from your lawyer, your accountant, really having a full picture uh, and just make the best decision for yourself as an investor, for your company, if that's what you're doing. I, I think that that's really the message that, uh, that that I'm trying to convey, and I know you share share those thoughts as well. Uh, so, any any last thoughts that, that you'd have to, to people uh, that are considering either investing or uh, purchasing a building for their own company's use? Yeah, well, I think fundamentally, like just to just to spring off of what you just said, like any investment in a commercial asset should be made with a long time period in mind. You shouldn't be buying it in general, shouldn't be buying it for a one year hold period. Like you should be looking at this at a five or a 10 or possibly a 20 year hold period. And, and when looked at in that sort of time frame, um, these sort of interest rate fluctuations might impact today's cash flow. But if you're getting, you know, increasing lease rates over that you know, next five years or whatever it might be, or you're able to increase, you know, if you're an industrial asset, you can start increasing rates because of the, the demand that exists in that sector, um, you're going to get those returns back. And so if you lock into a longer term note, then you may be able to um, still realize the yield that you need. And that's why you need to have that long term mindset is really understand what are your goals uh, as an investor? What are you trying to achieve? And if if you're looking for a quick buck, that's all speculation stuff. Well, then, yeah, you can you can trade in all of these, you know, ideas of what's going to happen tomorrow. But if you're looking for uh, a long term hold, then generally the principles of real estate are going to stay the same. If you've got a strong tenant and you've got a good quality asset, lenders are going to want to lend on it and they're going to they're going to want to be a part of the deal that you have put together. Those are very wise words, my friend. Uh, so where, where can people find you if they, uh, if they want to go looking for, uh, for Chris? Uh, I'll leave a link uh, to your LinkedIn in the description as well, but uh, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, yeah that's perfect. Um, you know, just uh, check us out at uh, designercapital.ca and, uh, or just Christopher at designercapital.ca. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I uh, got some great insight from you and I, I'm sure other people will as well. Uh, thanks so much, Christopher. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it, Chad. Thanks. Have a good one. Take care.